0: Welcome to Orphans No More, a media extension of Justice for Orphans, a ministry dedicated to rally the church for the cause of the fatherless, inspiring, educating, and equipping believers to care for vulnerable children, and supporting those who have heard and heeded the call of James 127.
1: Here's your host, Sandra Flack. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. That, of course, is James 127. Welcome to Orphans No More, a podcast to encourage, educate, and equip you to care for children in crisis through adoption, foster care, and kinship care. I'm your host, Sandra Flack. James 127 is an often quoted verse in this space of adoption and foster care. But in light of world events, especially the war war in Ukraine, James 127 has been jumping off the page to me. According to the UN, approximately 3 million people have fled Ukraine since the war began just a few weeks ago. I'm recording this on day 20 of the war since Russia invaded Ukraine. And since primarily only women and children can leave Ukraine, the men must stay to fight and many have died. They've willingly stayed um, and many have laid their lives down. Think of all of the Ukrainian widows and orphans now in Poland and Romania as refugees, or think of the many that are stuck in uh, Ukraine while Russia mercilessly, attacks civilians. So there are children who are already orphaned. They were already orphans living in orphanages or in foster care type situations. Um, and now they're either refugees, their orphanage directors have moved them to places like Poland and Romania in the midst of the chaos of war, or some of them are still in bomb shelters and, and hiding um in basements. I just think of the compound trauma inflicted on an already traumatized population of children, and my heart breaks, and so does the heart of my guest today. Jill Krenzer is a wife, a mom, and an international adoptive mom from the Rochester, New York area. Jill works diligently to spread awareness of orphan hosting and adoption. She is a team member of the nonprofit hosting organization Host Orphans Worldwide and is a host mom herself. Jill's son, Kyle, was adopted from Ukraine in March of 2021, just one year ago, after the Krenzers had hosted him the year before. Please welcome Jill Krenzer. Hey, Jill. Hi, Sandra. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you for joining me from your car. I know you were dropping kids <laughs> off at school, um, but I, this is such an important conversation and I wanted to make sure that we had got it in. So thank you for working working us into your schedule. Absolutely. Uh, so as, as a fellow adoptive mom of children from Ukraine, my heart aches for the people of Ukraine, especially the orphan. And I can only imagine what you are going through Uh, And we'll get to the current events shortly, but I always love to start at the beginning of an adoption story. So I know you and your husband have biological children, but you adopted one child so far from Ukraine. So Mm -hmm. share with us what led you to adopt.
0: So adoption has always been something like since I was a teenager, that's been on my heart. Um, And my husband and I are, uh, we got married, we're a blended family we each have two biological children. We decided um, to expand our family and then ran into some fertility issues. Um, During the four years that we were trying and told that it was unexplained infertility, just keep trying. um, We had two failed infant adoptions domestically. Um, We had... um, we, we really didn't understand, you know, what the problem was. We both had biological children with other people and could not seem to, you know, figure it out. So we went through all the testing again. And we had also started foster care classes at that point, thinking maybe we'd go that route. And um, went through all the testing again. And, you know, during this time, it really weighed on me. And I even said to him, it had really... I really kind of started to feel that I didn't really want a biological child of my own. I felt that this world is really screwed up and I, there's enough kids already here that need the love of a family. Um, I didn't need to bring another one in, I guess is, is where I kind of, you know, stood. My husband wasn't really sure he agreed with me. (laughs) He was still on the biological child route, but, um, We ended up finding out through some more testing that uh, there was fertility issues and we were not going to be able to conceive. So I really thought our journey was over as we had finished our foster care classes and we had decided that was not the right route for our family. Um, And so I I thought our journey was over. He basically said, if somebody comes and drops off a kid on our front doorstep, well, of course we'll take them, but really didn't see pursuing it. So, um, that was in January of 2019 and when it all kind of came to a halt in June of 2019, I saw a Facebook friend welcoming a boy at the airport. And so I reached out to her and I said, you know, are you adopting? What are you doing? And she explained to me that she was hosting for the summer. I had never heard of hosting. Um, it just blew my mind that there was such a thing. So I started looking into it and following her journey throughout the summer and uh, proposed it to my husband and he said, okay, yeah, we can try that. So that fall of 2019, we, um, you know, the, the photo listing came out. We started looking through the photo listing and we narrowed it down to two little boys. And um, when I inquired about the two, one fit our, what we were looking for better than the other. And so we decided to go with him. And strangely, he looks a lot like my husband as a child and, (laughs) um, kind of eerie. Um, but so, yeah, so his name, um, was Roman and he was nine and we hosted him the winter of, well, our hosting season got pushed back that year. So it was actually mid January to mid February of 2020 that we hosted him. And, um, I knew immediately (laughs) that I was going to adopt this boy Um, from before he came just from his videos, his little video clip and his pictures online. I knew that this was my son and I was fully invested. My husband, however, was very much like, we need to meet him. We need to see how this goes, whatever, before we start the adoption process. So he stayed with us for four weeks. And the day after we put him on a plane to go back to um, Ukraine at the end of his hosting Um, period, I started the application for adoption. And so we did that. And um, so yeah, that was how we how we ended up where we are with our
1: with our little guys. Wow. So I've heard of I knew about hosting programs. And in fact, when we were we traveled blind to adopt our kids, uh, and on our way to visit after we after we picked them out at our appointment, on our way to visit them and meet the two older kids for the first time, the inspector woman, that was her title. Um, through translation, we discovered that the two older kids are who were seven and nine at the time, they had been hosted twice by the same Chicago family. And because I knew how I knew how hosting programs went and I'm like, wait, what, why, well, why isn't, why isn't that family adopting them? And, Mm -hmm. The inspector said, oh, the boy did not want to be adopted by them. And I'm like, well, turn this car around. We're going to have to go pick new right. Because if he, they spent two summers in the United States with the same family, I just didn't get it. you know. And it was, I tell yeah. this story in my book, but we didn't get it at the time. And it was actually a couple of years before... Um, he actually shared the reason why and and what happened. And it was, it's very miraculous, but I I've always, you know, I've known about hosting programs. I know people who have hosted and and adopted as a result, and it's an incredible opportunity and a way to really, um, to connect and and not everybody who hosts adopts, but many, many children find their, their forever family that way. Um, so I love, I love that you did that. And so it seems like it went pretty quick. So you hosted him for the summer. No, the right? winter, The, the winter, winter,
0: winter, early, early
1: 2020. Yeah. Four weeks. And then, so by the time you put him on the plane, cause you had to do that, that's part of the heartbreaking, you know, hard part of hosting. Yeah. They go back from the time he went back to the time you actually adopted him. How much, how many months or years was that?
0: So we put him on the plane in, uh, end of February, 2020. And, um, we actually had our dossier submitted by September and, um, unfortunately it was rejected the first time there was just a small minor thing that was overlooked. And, and so it was rejected and, um, we had to resubmit, we resubmitted and it was accepted, um, December of 2020 and we went for our first appointment beginning of February 2021, and uh, adoption day was March 23rd, uh, 2021. So, and we brought him home the 31st. So, wow, so less than home quite a year yet.
1: Yeah, so it was just months really that it was less than a year yeah. it took to bring him home. It was home. like
0: thir- like 13 months from when we sent him back to uh, adoption day. And we were, we were lucky that we got the third, the third, um, that 30 day wait, that third trip we got waived. So we were very fortunate. So we got to bring him home after adoption day.
1: Wow. And they don't often waive those back in the olden days when I adopted, which was 15 years ago, um, for our first three kids and 11 years ago for the second time, it was a 10 day wait.
0: Oh, that's much nicer. <laughs> yeah.
1: So and so we yeah. opted both times. We stayed in country to wait out the ten days and visit the kids and spend time with them and all of that. Uh, but then and now, so now I you know I know that now the process is thirty days and most families come home and then go yes. back because um, who can who can stay who can stay thirty days? But I actually stayed six weeks the first time for our first adoption. So wow. crazy. It it's just and it changes the process changes like the wind. Um, or, like the weather in upstate New York, right? Every day it's right. So but, Isn't that the truth? Um, yes. So, um, so that I mean, that is incredible. So, he's he has been home now. Is his his Ukrainian name is was Roman. Did you keep you changed his name? Did you keep his name? His name is now
0: Kyle. Six weeks Kyle. home, he decided he wanted his name changed. And so, he it's it's a funny story, but I won't. I won't waste your time with it, but oh, um, he funny
1: stories. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh well, if you want to hear it, we actually yeah. uh, my husband and I and him we went out to dinner at Outback and um, my husband was drawing on the kids menu with him, you know, doing tic tac toe and whatever. And he didn't speak a lot of English yet at that point, but out of nowhere, my husband said, "Roma, you want your name to be Kyle?" And he says, "Yeah." And then for 15 minutes, we went through all these different names. Like, what about this? What about this? And no, no good. No good. Well, what about Roman? No good. Roman, no good. Kyle. And I was like, where? So like 15 minutes later, I looked at my husband. I said, where did Kyle come from? Yeah. He goes, he goes right here on the menu. This <laughs> koala, the koala bear on the menu was named Kylie the koala. And he read it as Kyle. <laughs> and threw it out there. And Kyle decided that's what he wanted his name to be. And they literally went home that night. And every time I called him Roman, he said, no, it's Kyle. And was very like firm in it. So I had him talk to somebody who could translate the next day and just make sure, because we were actually just in the process where we were just about to hand in the paperwork to change his last name. So I said, geez, if he wants his first name changed, like now is the time we've got to do it but I wanted to make sure he knew, you know, it was permanent and that kind of thing. And there was no turning back for him. So yeah, he named, a, he got named off of a koala bear, a misreading of a name on a koala bear of a, on a menu at, uh, at Outback. So. Outback.
1: <laughs> names are, names uh, are so important. And I know out of my, out of my four children from Ukraine, um, the kids that were older, we kept their first name um, and gave them new middle names, but, um, the first trip, the youngest at the time was three and his name, uh, was Sergey. And we, we figured either somebody at the hospital or somebody at the orphanage named him because he was, um, abandoned at the hospital after he was born. So, um, you know, so, and they didn't call him Sergey. They have a pet name like Serosha or something is how they yeah. pronounce it, the, the little pet name. So, Um, but our oldest biological son at the time was 17. And he said, we cannot keep that name. He'll get picked on, you know? So we were like, you know, all right, we'll help us pick out a name. So our our oldest biological son picked out the name Jordan. So um, his name is Jordan. And then um, we found out before coming home with the three kids that they actually had a fourth and younger sibling also in the baby house, who's Parental rights were not terminated and we couldn't have taken him at the time, but I, I only found out about him because I asked, how would we know if there are any more because these three kids are biological siblings, and they're young, there could be more and they're like, oh yeah, there's another one. So, you know, <laughs> it was kind of crazy, but his name um, is Slava. So he became a household word, right? Because for um, we were home about uh, like six, six, nine months before we realized, okay, this is working. Cause we brought home three at one time. And we we're like, is this going to like destroy our family? Or are we going to survive? God bless you. <laughs> <laughs> so we were like, but, but by the time nine months rolled around, we knew like there is one missing. And we went, we, you know, it took, it took forever for, Ukraine, you know, you know how it is. Um, it, th- th- there was nobody advocating for him. We had to hire people to advocate for him. He was finally made available for a. He, he was finally legally classified an orphan with parental rights terminated. But we were told there's a Ukrainian law that for the first calendar year after they become yeah. a legal orphan then they're available after a year for international adoption. So even though we had the three older siblings and they like to keep siblings together and they knew we wanted him, that poor child sat in the orphanage for another entire year before we could go get him. So he was five and had spent all five years of his life in the orphanage. But for you know most of that time, I think he was 14 months old when we when I was in Ukraine for the first adoption, and I got they showed him to me. They held him up at a window, like this is him. Um, we knew his name, so he and everybody thought that we would change the name, right? Because Slava is, you know, not a very common name in the United States, and uh, but we learned that in the Ukrainian language, Slava means glory, and we oh, felt wow. like no. We just all already know him as slava anyways and he is such a slava like there's no other name (laughs) so um that's his name and and uh so that's what but i love i love the the names of the but but our oldest son at the time who's who was nine also just turning 10 when we adopted him our son andre um he was determined to be like american so even though he was the oldest He does not even speak with an accent. He was very, you know, he left Ukraine behind and that is it. And then a couple of our other kids, like our daughter, Anna, would go back to Ukraine in a heartbeat, like, you know, she's ready to fight war right now. And, right. and he has so she was seven and she still has somewhat of an accent, you know, and it is very Ukrainian and very, you know, so, um, you know, like we had the other day, we had to have borscht. She called me and she said we have to have borscht. So I said you, you know, um, she, she's twenty one now, so she lives on her own and has an apartment. Doesn't she only lives like five minutes from us and she works for our my husband's business? But, um, we had to make borscht and she came and and my son's my other son's girlfriend, um, who's very Polish. She brought a bunch of food, and we just had this little Ukrainian feast and prayed awesome. for Ukraine. And you know, but then I've you know my my older son he doesn't even like borscht. She's like he's like no, I'm not coming. <laughs> so it's just oh. interesting out of the four of them how they have just very different perspectives on the whole thing. But yeah. um, and that's
0: my understanding is you just like I understood before he came that some kids want to leave it all behind. And some yeah. kids still want to embrace it. And so you just, yeah. you just have to kind of be ready for that. You know, you just have to, and you have to embrace whatever they want, whatever is yeah. best for their healing, you know? So, yeah, and that was and the just, same thing with, with Kyle was he was uh, given up at birth, given the name Makita. We don't know whether Makita was a name given to him by his birth mother or by, you know, orphanage staff or hospital staff. We have no idea. And then he was adopted by a ukrainian family at two and named roman and so to me like none of those names meant anything if he wanted to change his name i was all for it because that ukrainian family had him for two years and then gave him up so for me it was you know none of these names are from someone who means something and who you know, had this real positive influence in his life. And honestly, he doesn't even remember that he was adopted before. And so if he wanted to change his name, I was all for it, you know, whatever he wanted to do. But yeah, yeah. but that name change is tough when you you only know him as one thing. And then all of a sudden you're trying to call him something else.
1: (laughs) But. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that, I mean, our three-year-old at the time, you know, in the orphanage, obviously we were calling him, you know, by, by what the staff was calling him. Um, and then when we decided to call him to, to change his name to Jordan, we kind of were, we started like morphing the two names, you know, we were using both names. Um, and then eventually once we got him home, we, we started just using the name Jordan and that's all he remembers now, Um but uh, I mean, so his name is Jordan Charles, and sometimes we just call him Chuck. Like uh, when I'm like, okay, Chuck, when he, he's being difficult. <laughs> so, but he's, you know, it's just, yeah, and they're all different, but names are important. So I I, I can relate and understand the wanting, you know, that new life, new identity, and that new yeah. name to kind of seal it. So, um, you know, I totally get that. And all children in foster care and those adopted internationally have experienced trauma, loss, yep. right? Some have been prenatally exposed to alcohol, my children included. So Jill, when you when when Kyle first came home, he's only really been home a year. Um, what was that adjustment like? Were there, you know, a lot of times there's that honeymoon period in the beginning, yep. you know? Yes. Like, Sometimes like I know my, my kids, when they first came, I wondered, well, they think this is like hosting. And then in, in a couple of months, they're going to go back. Like what, how was that adjustment?
0: Um, There was definitely a honeymoon phase in the beginning, especially for me. I was so happy to have him home. Um, But at the same time, it was really strange for me because um, I worked really hard to fundraise to get him home. And um to raise awareness about hosting and adoption and all that, which I still do. But I worked so hard that then all of a sudden it was like, well, now what do I do? (laughs) Now I've got a home. Now what do I do? Um, But anyway, so as far as him, the adjustment was um, at first, we were definitely honeymoon stage for the first, I don't know, maybe month or two. And then, um, you know, we all kind of started to settle in. And, um, started to notice some things, um, like, so after, after he got home, let me back up a minute. Um, I was told when we hosted him that he was never hosted before. we we'll come to find out he was never hosted by our organization before, but he had been hosted by a family in Chicago. Strangely, we were talking about that, um, twice before. And then after we got him home, I found out that um, a woman reached out to me. I didn't have a clue who she was, just reached out to me on Facebook, you know, congratulating us, telling us how perfect you know, a family we were for him, blah, 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 which I had heard from other people, so I didn't think much of it. Anyway, she continued on in conversation back and forth and ended up saying that when Kyle stayed with her, he was, you know this, that, and the other thing, and she'd like to really talk to me about her experience with him. And I thought, well, when Kyle stayed with you or Roman at the time, and so it turns out that on his second hosting, he was actually rehomed and he was rehomed to her. So I had no idea any of this. And even though I had had contact with his previous host mom, she had never mentioned that she rehomed him on the second hosting. Um, so... Anyway, so she had told me about a couple of different things, um, different, she speaks Russian fluently. So she was able to really get to know him and find out reasoning behind some of the things he was doing and find out about some of the bullying that was going on at the orphanage and different things that he was, um, you know, exposed to there. And so, um, she was able to kind of fill in some of those things for me and, I also found out during that time that he had, um, during his hosting had issues with like fecal smearing and things like that. Mm -hmm. And we had never had that with him, but pretty soon after I had started to, to see those things, um, just, just little bits here and there, but it wasn't like, you know, paintings on the wall kind of thing, but, um, little things here and there. Um, and so we've tried to, you know, work through those things and we're doing much, much better with those things. You know, we had some discussions with him, um, you know, asking him why he does it and making sure he knows he's safe in our home and, you know, things like that and making sure that he doesn't feel unsafe in our home. Um, and so some of those things have, have gotten much, much better, may not totally be gone, but they're much, much better. Um, we still have, um, you know, wetting the bed issues, but when we don't know whether that's something, you know, and I know that there's kids that are not adopted that have those issues until they're, you know, 11, 12, 13 years old. Um, it's not something that really concerns me. Um, it, and I don't know if it's, um, you know, like a physical and, or genetic thing or whether it's, you know, something else, we're not really sure, but, um, you know, I figure he's not going to go to college and get married and still let the bed. So I'm not too terribly concerned about it. Um, but overall he's a very jovial kid. We don't really have, um, a lot of outbursts and, you know, things like that. The thing we do have with Kyle is a very curious kid. He's a very like, um, I don't know how to like, the right way to put it, but he's like very mechanical minded. He wants to know how everything works. And, you know, and I understand from my understanding, I have biologically, I have two girls. And so it's a very different animal to have a boy who is a boy, boy, you know, through (laughs) and through. And uh, so it's been a very different experience for me, but he's very mechanically minded, wants to know how everything works. Very, very curious. And so we've had things, he's not malicious though but he'll take things apart thinking he can fix them and put them back together. And then he can't, I mean, Mm -hmm. he took a four wheeler down to the tires in the frame last summer telling us he was fixing it. Um, (laughs) you know, things like that, but honestly our adjustment hasn't really been that bad. The hardest thing for us is he definitely has ADHD. We actually just got him diagnosed, um, last week, but, um, I mean, he definitely has ADHD. He definitely has like memory issues, which, you know, could be cognitive, could be um, ADHD stuff, just not being able to pay attention real well, could be trauma based.
1: We really very, don't know. Yeah. He definitely has experienced trauma, especially since he was adopted once and then given back. Yes. So there's been a lot of loss and, and, um, and then
0: even, and then and even happened. after that, Even after he was uh, given back after the adoption, he then was put in a guardian home over there like foster care. And he was in that home for several years. And then that family had a baby of their own and loved that baby more. So they gave him to the orphanage. So, and then he was, you know, hosted those two times and not adopted. And then he had a family from Italy come and visit him in 2019 to adopt him. And they walked away. So he's dealt with a ton of rejection over and over throughout his life. He's definitely has, you know, trauma for sure. Um, But you honestly wouldn't know it just by being around him. He's the most jovial kid. He's really got a great personality. He just wants to be loved and praised, you know? But um, it's a, you know, honestly, if I'm being honest, it's a daily struggle. Um, But I think it's more the, the ADHD stuff. He is hyper. He's, you know, he's very absent-minded. He cannot complete a task. Um, You know, those kinds of things are the more difficult things that we
1: deal with. One of the things we talk about a lot on this podcast, actually, in addition to the trauma, but even more so because two out of our four are diagnosed with fetal alcohol syndrome, um, and so they're on the FASD spectrum, which I would highly, highly recommend that you begin to to, to read and research because um, it's 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 very prevalent among children mm-hmm. adopted from Eastern Europe, as well as actually very prevalent um, in the 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 foster care system in the United States. Um, yes. And and really, that's you know, an FASD is a is a brain based physical disability. Um, that looks. It can be very invisible. There's not necessarily. You can't look at a person always and tell. There are right. facial features, but that's only really in about 10% of the population. 10% of individuals with an FASD have the, the facial characteristics. My boys got diagnosed pretty easily because they both do have the facial features. Um, okay. But many kids don't, most don't actually. But the things that you're talking about with memory, being absent-minded, not being able to complete a task, the ADHD diagnosis, um, all of those things are primary characteristics of Mm -hmm. FASD. So um, I'll send you some resources because we have that. I write about it in my book quite a bit, but we talk about it a lot on this podcast because um, it's it's a brain based disability that doesn't go away, and it actually mm-hmm. gets harder during the teen years. Don't want to scare you, <laughs> um, you know, because we were dealing with you know with our youngest, we were dealing with a lot of those things. He was he 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 um, you know was just. Very busy, very into things. There was a lot of fear going on in the early days, right? Until the language, they get a grasp on the language and you, and you, and you can understand that a little bit more, but, um, in but it really, we got a lot of trauma (laughs) training. I don't know if you've had trauma training. I would highly recommend the book, the connected child, if you haven't read that. Um, so that, that, yeah. And then my husband and I went on to get, um, we became empowered to connect parent trainers, Um, But just a few years ago, things got really complicated and we were trying to figure out is this trauma, is this attachment, is this COVID because that like threw a ringer in the whole thing. Um, Is it the FAS? Because my boys got diagnosed. um, I think they were six and eight when they actually got diagnosed by a developmental pediatrician here, but it was kind of like, yes, here, this is the diagnosis. Have a nice day. There were no what now <laughs> How do you parent, what do you do? So when I began a journey a, a few years ago to like, try to figure this out. And I took what I call a deep dive into FASD. I was like, holy smokes, this is everything. Like this is, um, you know, and, and, and the parenting strategies for individuals with an FASD are not a whole lot different than the trauma you know, like the connected child kind of TBRI stuff, but it's making a lot of accommodations and making, um, you know, building on their strengths. Like you, like you said, your son is very mechanically inclined. A couple of mine are as well. um, And you build on those strengths, um, but we have to be careful to not try to force a round peg into a square hole all the time, which is like, especially at school. um, There's a lot of expectations when, their brain really can't do a lot of the things that are expected of them, even though they look like they should be able to do that. Um, So I'll send you some resources because another book um, that I highly recommend is um, trying differently rather than harder. It's a little book. It's about FASD. You can get it on Amazon. It's kind of pricey because it's not a huge book, but um, it, gives you the basics of FASD, <laughs> and the, the, the guidance on parenting. So, um, you know, I would encourage you to, to and, and you have an advantage where you are. The University of Rochester has an FASD clinic. So out oh. of all of New York state, if I wanted to go to a special clinic <laughs> specifically for this here in Albany, I would have to go to Rochester. So interesting. One of my like big dreams is that we would have a clinic here in Albany in the capital region, because unless you go to Rochester or there is one doctor down in New York city, it's not understood. Um, You know, so um, uh, Dr. Christy Petrenko at the university of Rochester, I've interviewed her on this show before Um, you know, she's passionate about this and they have not just the ability to diagnose, but the ability to, offer resources and supports along the way. Mm-hmm. So um, you know mm-hmm. I would I would encourage you even to check you know you can go there to get a diagnosis. Um, if you know if if you start to read and research about it and feel like that could be what's going on, um, I would you know think that that would be that's definitely would be an excellent resource for you guys um, because it's it's real and it's it's lifelong and it's it's um, it can be definitely challenging. Um, so I would encourage that and keep listening to this podcast, you know, because yes. this is, this is we t- I talk about it a lot. I just, um, the episode that dropped yesterday is actually one where I talk about some trials and, uh, triumphs with my boy, one of my boys that we've had in the past couple of weeks and all about FASD. So, um, I encourage That's you fun. check that out. Um, but I want to get you. to the next part of the story because no sooner had Kyle come home uh, last March, you guys hosted again. Mm -hmm. So tell us about how that came about, why you hosted, who you hosted. Okay.
0: So we got home and literally within days, we would have had to choose whether to host for summer. And we just didn't know what settling in was going to look like, but we really wanted to host Kyle's best friend from the orphanage. He really, that's the only thing he misses about Ukraine. He asks, you know, if, if we can go back to Ukraine for five days to see his friend Vanya. And, you know, that's his thing all the time. Can we just go for five days to see Vanya? And so I felt bad, but I just didn't know if it was the right thing to do. I um, had no idea what settling room was going to look like. And so um, we decided we were going to hold off and not host for summer. And I just really advocated for somebody to host Vanya Thankfully, um, a friend of a friend stepped up locally, um, in a town about 15, 20 minutes from us and, um, they hosted him. They had no desire to adopt, but just hosted and they basically shared him with us over the summer. So we had him over a lot to play. They had a birthday party for him because his birthday's in the summer and we went over, you know, went to the birthday party. And so we kind of shared Vanya with them over the summer and then, um, when winter hosting came, we hosted Vanya. Um, Vanya has a, is nine and he has a little brother who's seven. Um, this, his seven-year-old brother has special needs and was actually in a different orphanage, uh, was in a special needs orphanage up until September when Vanya returned from summer hosting. I'm not sure exactly what transpired, um, but they had had his brother move to his orphanage. So now the boys are together. And, um, so we hosted Vanya over the winter, the four months over Christmas holiday and, or the four weeks over Christmas holiday. And then he went back mid January and, um, I started advocating and fighting to get his brother here for summer hosting, um, we weren't prepared to make a decision on moving forward with adoption or not until meeting the brother, especially my husband really needed to see, we really wanted to see what are the needs and is it something we think we can handle? I mean, everybody can handle different things. And I think being honest with yourself, what you can and can't handle is really important. And so um, we really wanted to be able to assess his needs. No one could really tell us what his needs were And so um, I advocated, got, you know, got it so that we would have to jump through some hoops, but he was going to be able to come this summer. Um, His, we had the stipulations where his favorite teacher had to come with him and, and live with us for the first week. If things went well, she would go back after the first week to Ukraine. If things, if she didn't feel things were going well, when she left after that first week, she'd take him with her. And then, um, if he stayed for the whole summer, I would have to bring him all the way back to the orphanage at the end of the summer. So, um, so those were the stipulations we said, okay, we'll do it. You know, we really want to meet him. We really want to have them here. And, um, so we had that all, you know, set up and ready to go. We were excited to have him coming. We're starting to, you know, line up. You know, an extra bed and all those things being donated to us, and then you know, and then war hit. So um, now, now everything's uncertain, right? <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, okay, so that's that's where we're at. And and part of it was, um, quite honestly, we were already asking about other kids when we were at the orphanage, just because it really just once you see it once you experience it, once you see those faces, it's very hard to just walk away from and ignore. Yeah. Oh, you know, and I just, I really felt my mission was not done with that yet. I really needed to do more. So that's, you know, that's why we hosted again. The reason why we hosted again so quickly was because it is Kyle's best friend. And so, you know, there was already that relationship there. He, he would he would say that Vanya is his brother and uh so so yeah so we hosted him and now here we
1: are yeah so they were supposed to the two boys were supposed to come for hosting this summer this coming summer yeah coming summer um and obviously with war in Ukraine um that's not going to happen. It's not looking like it's even possible at this point. Um, you know, h- how, are you guys, what do you know about where the children are? I don't know if you're able to say what part of Ukraine they were in, where they are now. H- how are you following what's happening?
0: So they were in the Southeastern part of Ukraine. Um, when the very first morning that we woke up here in the United States and there was a map with red dots all over it about, you know, where, um, they had been hit. Um, several of those red dots were on orphanages that our hosting organization or in areas where our our orphanages are. Um, and you know, a couple of those were where our boys were, um, Mm -hmm. they, a little over a week ago, Uh, What's today? Today's Tuesday. So actually a week ago this morning, they crossed over into a bordering country. They were able to evacuate. And so they are in a bordering country. They are safe. Um, The hosting organization we work with works with 12 different orphanages. So far, four of them have evacuated to a bordering country. Eight of them are still in country and unable to evacuate at this point. So
1: so when you say they were able to evacuate the whole, all of the children in the orphanage were moved from the orphanage to a bordering country. Correct. The director, his wife, and his two kids,
0: as well as the entire orphanage of 110 kids. Um, those are all the kids that don't have family or something to go to because at this orphanage, some kids use it almost as like a boarding school and they do have family, some sort of family to go to. Um during breaks and things like that. So there's 110 of them that evacuated with the director into a boarding, bordering country.
1: Yeah. It's crazy because if if you, if you're not a part of this and you don't really understand, like my, my children um, had living biological parents when we adopted them, the first three and but parental rights have been terminated. It's kind of, I liken it to, if they had been American children in the United States, they would have been placed in foster care, right? right. Because the parents were not able to care for them. And um, eventually parental rights were terminated and they were available for adoption, but they weren't orphans as in the sense that we think of orphans where all oh, the parents are right. both deceased, um, but they were, they had living parents. Um, so I, and, and even since then, cause that was 15 years ago, which blows my mind to think that that's how long ago my kids first came <laughs> home, but, um, you know, it was, it was very much just an orphanage system back then. And I know more recently they're doing more of a, they're, they're trying to incorporate more of a, a foster care type setting because we know that children are, were created to be in families, not in institutions, um although you know that even a family-based system like foster care has its flaws right but yeah. um you know it is it is a better environment at least than than an institution but to to imagine 110 children being moved thank, thankfully they are in a safe location right because they're out of yeah. they're, they're in a bordering country but you know then what right what are, are you hearing anything as to what you know what's the you know, I don't know, long-term, but, you know, even the next six months, What because we look at Ukraine and it's being decimated. They're, you know, even if the children, even if people could go back, all the refugees, because there's like 3 million at this point, yeah. I heard on the news last night. um If they all could go back, for many of them, you know, look at Mariupol, there's not a place to go back to, it's been decimated, the infrastructure, right. the buildings, there's, you know, there's nothing. So, so what are, are what are you hearing are, you know, for the interim, um, is there a plan, have you heard of a plan that that, that will help these children or, or will they ever be able, because they've been hosted before and they're with a hosting program, will that be able to take place this summer? For example, do you, do you have any answers at all? We are told that hosting and adoption is on hold.
0: Um, We are not expecting that hosting, uh, the 10 week hosting program will happen. Um, What we're being told at this point is about, I think it was about two weeks ago, um, some of the bordering countries gave Ukraine 60 days to decide what to do with all these kids. So after 60 days, what I believe happens, don't mark my words, I'm not 100% sure, but I believe if Ukraine doesn't have a plan that they all go into the foster care systems of these surrounding countries. Mm. So we have been lobbying, um, you know, us like in process, um, adoptive parents and host parents have all been um, lobbying our congressmen and senators begging for help in getting these kids here for an extended hosting. We understand that adoption is on, on hold, but let us bring these kids here that have been hosted by established hosting agencies, by parents who have already been, you know, all of our paperwork's on file, you know, our background checks and all of those things. And let us bring these kids who know us, who we love, and take care of them until, until whenever, you know, whenever that is. And then if they have to be returned at some point, then just like hosting, we'd have to return them and then proceed forward with adoption from there. But, um, you know, we know we can't keep them legally without adopting them. We know that there's a process for adopting them and, Everybody is fine with that, but what we're not fine with is our kids getting lost, you know, kids that we consider ours, obviously they're not legally ours, but kids that we consider our own getting lost into systems all over Europe and never hearing from them again and not knowing where they are and not knowing that they're okay. I mean, there's a lot of trafficking and things that are going on. Um, Those things happen, especially during these times of crisis, kids fall, you know, kids and women, people fall through the cracks. And quite frankly, from my understanding, Ukraine doesn't know how many kids have been evacuated. They don't really know where all these kids have gone. Um, you know, I mean, it, it came out yesterday. It's been kind of speculated for a couple of weeks now, but it came out yesterday that they have part- partnered with UNICEF um, on moving some of these kids. But the problem with that is that UNICEF is very anti-international adoption. So mm-hmm. they are very very much uh, think that kids are better off in an institution in their own culture than moving and being into a, you know, in a family in America. So, you know, they've helped shut down adoptions from other other countries to America. And so there's a, a great concern that with UNICEF stepping in, that that could be where we're headed. you know. We just don't know. So we just keep fighting and lobbying. There's a petition on change.org out um, that was suggested by some of our congressmen and senators that maybe we could get a, peti- a petition going, getting people to just say they support these families, these, these previous host families, being able to host these kids. So we've got that out. Um, quite honestly, I'm shocked. All it, you have to do is spend less, you know, less than a minute of your time to sign it and potentially share it. I can't believe that we don't have thousands and thousands and thousands of signatures on that. It's been out for three or four days and we just hit 2000 last night. And so it's just, it, it's hard not to feel hopeless. It mm-hmm. really is. But we all feel like hope is not gone until it's gone, until the door is shut. And so we will fight till the bitter end, you know, with everything we have until that door is slammed in our face and it hasn't been slammed in our face yet. So, um, yeah, so I don't know, we're, you know, we're just trying to get the word out through media, any media outlet we can and, you know, lobbying our, our local officials. And, but now it sounds, you know, there's a lot of congressmen and senators that are on board and really willing to do everything they can. But now it sounds like it's more of a Ukraine issue and a Ukraine deciding what to do. Um, So, you know, I don't know. I don't know how much traction we can really get with that being the issue
1: at hand, you know? Yeah. I mean, there's definitely, you know, no easy solution or no easy process, it seems, because, because there's a lot of bureaucracy, because... You know, Ukraine, a little bit busy fighting a war and trying to survive, right? So, you know, I, and I, and I just heard that, for example, Poland is, you know, beyond capacity for taking any more, yeah. um, any more refugees, and I don't know what the, you know, like you like your comment earlier about, you know, if they. If in sixty days something's not done, these kids are going to get absorbed into the foster care systems or whatever systems these other countries have. Um, for example, in, in in Romania, there's no adoptions from Romania at this point. I don't know what the None status of is. those bordering countries. I don't think. Yeah. So um, you know, so then they're stuck in in um, institutions, and while you know, while family preservation and trying to keep kids in their in their um, birth countries, is 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 you know, sounds like best practice and can sometimes be pr- best practice. It's only best practice if they're able to stay with a family, and not in an institution. Correct.
0: And and when you look at a country like Ukraine, like I've had several reporters ask me, like, why Ukraine? Like, why is this such a big deal? And what most people don't understand is that Ukraine has the largest um, orphanage system in Europe. And there's over a hundred thousand orphanage orphans. I'm sorry. A hundred thousand orphans in that system. I mean, it is just overrun and there are not enough um, families willing to take these kids in Ukraine alone. So they're just going to be, you know, stuck in the system.
1: And it's not easy. It's not much easier for a Ukrainian family to adopt um, either. In fact, right before the war broke out, my, my dear friend who I was telling you I mentioned had called me from Ukraine asking for prayer. Um, she actually had called me just, I think it was the Monday before, it was, it was in February, it was the Monday before Russia rolled in. Um, and she was asking me how she could help another Ukrainian couple that she knows who wants to adopt, but um, the rule in Ukraine is uh, you have to own a home. You cannot rent an apartment and adopt. Interesting. So, and you see the news, you see all those apartment buildings, you know, unless yeah. you're out in a village. And if you're out in the village, you're probably more on, you know, for lack of a better, you know, wording on um, more of a the poor side, right? So, you know, farming and, and that kind of thing. Um, so it's the people in the city who have jobs that could actually support a, a family. They're living in these high-rise apartments. Um, they're living in apartments. They don't own their own home. They rent. But yet that that um, prevents them from being able to adopt their own children, Ukrainian families, have to own a home in order to adopt. They cannot rent an apartment. So my friend was asking me, is, you know, is it appropriate to fundraise? Like, is that, is there such a thing as fundraising to adopt? Because this couple, this was prior to COVID, this couple both got work visas and worked in Alaska, not even together. They were in completely separate parts of Alaska for three months Working extra jobs to raise money to be able to put themselves in a position to be able to buy a home and adopt, and then this past year they wanted to come for the summer again and do that, and they were denied travel visas to be able to do that. So now they're like, okay, now we don't have any way to make any extra money. How do we? How do we do this? So this now, of course, now this is all you know on the back burner because now there's war, um, but. I didn't even realize that, that for, for a Ukrainian family to adopt the 100,000 orphans that are in the orphanage system there, you know, you're basically eliminating almost half the population. If you eliminate, I mean, that's my, I don't have any facts. That's my guess, right? right? Right. You know, you can imagine maybe half the population rents their home. That's amazing. Yeah, I didn't know that that either. Yeah. I didn't know it either until she, you know, and this is a Ukrainian woman. So who's telling me that. So it's, it's very upside down and backwards and, and what should be decisions made in the best interest of kids often aren't really in the best interest of kids. So, um, you know, we have to pray, but, but kids belong in families, you know, and not institutions. And, Um, you know, we don't want to see them in institutions in other countries when they could be in families. So we definitely, um, when we close out here, I'm going to, I'm going to pray, but I had, I wanted to ask you because I know you've become a passionate advocate for hosting and -hmm. for adoption. Um, and the organization, um, is host orphans worldwide. Yes. Yes that you hosted through, um, are there Jill, other host families, prospective adoptive families in your area, families that you know, who are also on this roller coaster with you? Yes,
0: actually in my area, I'm one of six. They all started hosting after they heard about my journey, um, either through, um, you know, acquaintances that we know we both know, or one actually saw me on the news last year. Um, But yeah, so we've all come together. There's six of us and four of us, our kids are all in the same orphanage. The other two are in two separate orphanages. So um, all of our kids have been evacuated except for one. And strangely, if you go back to the beginning of this, when I was talking about hosting and how there was two boys, And we ended up picking Kyle because he was, you know, he fit what we were looking for a little more. The other boy I had my eye on is actually in the process of being adopted by a family 10 minutes from my house. So, um, and he is actually not evacuated yet out of Ukraine. So, um, so that's been weighing, weighing on obviously them, but also on me that, um, and I have friends all over the country now um, that I've met through hosting and we've connected that are in various stages of, you know, of adoption with these kids. And um, most of the families, like 80% of the kids that come for hosting end up being adopted either by the family that hosts them or another family that meets them while they're here. Right. So a lot of these host families are in some phase of the, their adoption journey. Some of them, Some of them, the kids are legally theirs and they're in the 30-day wait. And now their kid is stuck in Ukraine and they can't get them home. So the child is legally their child, but stuck in a war zone. So it's just devastating. It's absolutely yeah. devastating.
1: Oh, I can only imagine it, What can our listeners do to help? I know you mentioned there's a petition at change.org. If you send me the link to that, I will share it. So our listeners and our followers on social media can find it. Um, Anything else that our listeners could do to help the situation if, um, you know, if they can?
0: So me personally, um, I am raising funds to fight for Vanya and his brother, Jan. um, And those different ways are on my social media account, which is under my name, Jill Krenzer on Facebook. Um, If you go there, you'll also see pictures of the boys and things like that. So if you scroll through. Um, but I have, you know, different fundraisers going for that. And then um, Host Orphans Worldwide on their um, website, hostorphansworldwide.org. They have a donate button um, and you can donate directly to them. And what we're doing as an organization, I am on the team, um, is, well, even prior to war breaking out, the kids' food portions had been had been cut back, and kids were calling their host parents, telling them that they were um, you know that they were hungry and and you know they just weren't getting enough food. so um, we started subsidizing the food for the orphanages, sending money over to subsidize the food for the orphanages so that the kids would have the food they need. so we try, we were doing that prior to to war. now since war is broken out we are still doing that for the orphanages that we can. We don't honestly don't know where some of them are. Some of them have moved inside the country to other locations that are quote unquote safer. Um, And we aren't sure at this point where they are. One of them moved yesterday and we got word. One of the moms got word that uh, they, they did make it. They are safe, but we don't know where they are. So in situations like that, it makes it a little harder Uh, With the banks down and things like that, it has made it harder, but we're doing everything we can to, um, you know, if it's getting it to a humanitarian aid um, organization that's in the area to get, you know, to get those things to them, we're doing everything we can to help get food and water to um, the different orphanages. Um, And then in the countries that we're evacuating out to that we have kids in where um, we have a presence on the ground there. There's a continuing presence and will be for however long we need to. Um, A group of four or five went out shortly after war broke out, got on the ground for to, you know, start accepting kids as they came in and doing what they could for them. And then last week, two, two or three of them came home, but two stayed. Another group went out on Sunday. So they're, they're kind of rotating out every couple of weeks. Some stay, some go. So there's always some sort of presence and there's overlap. And the things that they've been able to do is um, uh, like an orphanage of 80 kids. They bought them all, you know, several pairs of underwear the other day because they left with basically nothing. Mm-hmm. They've supplied um, medications, um, food if needed, um, hygiene items, things like band-aids, you know, things like that, that they just don't have and may need. Mm -hmm. Um, And then things like balls and scooters and, you know, things like that to kind of keep the kids busy craft items, you know, things like that. And they're helping not just our orphanages. So when, if you're not familiar with hosting, An orphanage with 110 kids, we may host 30 of those kids, and then another 20 might go with another hosting organization and whatever. We don't necessarily host all 110 of those kids, Mm -hmm. but what we're doing Mm -hmm. is taking care of all 110 of those kids, even though they're not all, you know, host orphans worldwide, host kids, we're still taking care of the full orphanage. So there's that 110 kids, there's another 62, there's another 80, and we're so we're doing what we can for all of those people um, on the ground as, as needed. And so we're just trying to be a presence and just be helpful wherever necessary. And so So, anything, um, donated to host orphans worldwide, that is where the money is going now is to help those on the ground, um, both in Ukraine still and who have been evacuated.
1: Well, we will make sure that we put links, Um, to host orphans worldwide to their website. If any of our listeners want to um, make a donation there um, to your, to the um, change.org so we can uh, sign um, and, and and put our name on that petition to help get kids who were ready to be hosted um, into, into families here. um, And uh, also your, your social media. So our listeners can even, can even connect with you there. So great. um, Thank you. We'll make sure that we do that. And as we, as we wrap up before we go um, I really want to pray for you because I feel oftentimes my last question to a guest would be, you know, what encouraging words can you say to our listeners who are uh, fellow adoptive foster kinship caregivers? Um, But I feel like we're going to flip it around because I believe that you and um, your fellow waiting families um, and the children of Ukraine need our prayers. So um, let me pray for you before we close. Thank you so much. All right, let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, you are the father to the fatherless. You set the lonely in families. Lord, we thank you for the children that you have set into our families. We thank you for the families who have answered your call in James one twenty seven. Lord, a verse that is near and dear to our hearts. Um, You call us to care for orphans in their distress. And Father, the world watches the horrific events in Ukraine. We see the catastrophic impact this war is having on children who were already orphaned. They were already the least of these. And the numbers of orphans and widows are increasing by the day. So, Lord, we pray, we ask in Jesus' name for your mercy, your righteousness, and your justice to prevail in Ukraine. We pray for the most vulnerable, the orphans, the children, those with special needs, pregnant women, the newly widowed women, and the elderly. We think of those bringing in humanitarian aid um, who who are trying to serve these people and are being attacked in that process. We lift up to you the people who have fled and are now refugees, so many orphans among them from orphanages that have been evacuated, thankfully, to safety. Um, Meet their needs and fill them with your peace, oh God. This This is a traumatizing situation, oh God. We pray for those who remain in Ukraine, who who just can't get out, even if they wanted to. And those who've been determined to stay, the civilians and the military who are fighting and even President Zelensky, Father God, provide, protect, equip this people, make them all invisible to the enemy. Oh, God. But let them know that you see them. They are not invisible to you, Lord. You are the God of angel armies. Reach down your hand and deliver and rescue the people of Ukraine. God, give them victory in Jesus name. I lift up those families like Jill's and the families that she, she knows and other families who I'm sure across the country, it's the case families whose arms and hearts are aching for the children. They were in the process of going to host this summer. Were in the process of adopting God. Be their rock, make a way where there seems to be no way. God do what only you can do and bring these children, their children mm-hmm. safely home. Oh God, you can break through bureaucracy and corruption. You can move mountains. Oh God. So we ask you to do it. Lord, we plead the blood of Jesus over the least of these, give these families and their waiting children, hope, bring them back together again. Oh God. God. We ask this in the mighty and powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Oh, So Jill, I just, my heart goes out to you and the other families that you know. I, I, I know what it was like to wait for our kids for nine months while Ukraine closed their adoption program and reorganized it while we were already approved to, to, to be able to go. But there was no war going on. You know, so we knew that there eventually would be a light at the end of the tunnel. We didn't know when, but we knew it was coming. And and, and I'm sure some days it feels like, where's, you know, are we ever going to see the light at the end of the, at the end of the tunnel? So you continue to be in our prayers, um, you and, and the other waiting families, the children, um, you know, we will continue to lift you up in prayer. I encourage you, um, stand firm, um, in what God has called you to do. remain faithful. Uh, faithful in prayer, remain in the word, soaked in your faith, stay strong. Um, we're with you. we stand with you. We want to share all that information and in the links with our listeners and I just appreciate you taking the time to share your story with us today. I, stay the course. hang in there, tell your tell the other families, stand firm. We continue to support you and to stand with you, to stand with the people of Ukraine, um, and you're all in our prayers. Thank you. Well, thank you for taking the time. If you've made it this far, and I'm sure if you were listening to Jill's story, you were riveted like I was. Um, And it's a little bit of a longer episode than we've been releasing, but um, an incredible story, so timely, um, and in need of much prayer. So thank you uh, for, for listening today. If you enjoyed this show, be sure to let us know by subscribing to the orphans, no more podcast, and let your fellow adoptive foster and kinship friends know uh, about this podcast so that they can listen to and be encouraged and equipped on their parenting journey. You can check out my family's Kinship and Ukrainian adoption story in my book, Orphans No More: A Journey Back to the Father. It's available wherever you buy books. If you order it on Amazon, I would really appreciate it if you go back in there and leave a review. Last I looked, the other day, we're up to fifty. I think it's fifty-nine reviews. Um, my goal now is seventy-five, and eventually it'll be a hundred. But the more reviews, the more relevant. It is when people are searching books on adoption. Um, So please leave that review. If you would like a signed copy, which includes a special gift bookmark, you can order it from my website, sandraflack.com. And I will personally sign the book and mail it to you myself um, on sandraflack.com. You can also learn more about me, uh, read my blog, and contact me for speaking opportunities. And also, please send me your emails. Uh, keep reaching out on by email. Keep reaching out on social media. I love to hear from you. When you ask questions, I personally respond. Uh, reach out if you have a question. If you would like to schedule a call to connect with me, uh, maybe you're suspecting that your, your child has an FASD um, or you know, you're dealing with some trauma or whatever the question is, I had a mom reach out about, you know, maybe I should be homeschooling. Is that an accommodation I should make? And just any kind of question, you know, related to that, related to what we talk about on this show. um, I'm happy to schedule a call. Um, I'm a fellow adoptive mama, also in the trenches, very much so with you. So reach out. My email is sandraflack, J-F-O, at gmail.com. You can also reach me through the ministry website, which is justicefororphansny.org. I'd also like to give a shout out to our Care Portal County sponsors, Tri-Nuclear Corporation, Bishop Boundary Construction, and National Bank of Koksaki. These businesses care about children and families in crisis, and they support us and help us to do what we do. So we thank them. And we are always looking for businesses um, who would like to support what we are doing, especially in the capital region counties here in upstate New York, which is where these particular businesses are. Um, So if your business or you know a business in Albany County, Greene County, Rensselaer County, Schenectady County, um, please um, connect us because they could be a business sponsor as well. Um, and support this ministry and the expansion of this ministry. Don't forget to check out our website, justicefororphansny.org. Uh, you can learn more about the care portal. You can learn more about this podcast and our other resources. We're in the process of doing a, a website update, um, but we do have resources dedicated to trauma and FASD. Uh, we want to help you become FASD informed. Very soon we were going to be offering um, an FASD 101 training. So if you would like me to come to your area, I can do in person, we can do it online. But if you would like an FASD 101 to learn, what is it? What are the symptoms? uh, And how do we proceed once we know that that's what we're dealing with? um, How do we support our children? What are accommodations? How does this work? What is neurodiversity and all of that? would love to be able to present a training um, to your group. So reach out to justicefororphansny.org about that. And be sure to follow us on social media. Justice for Orphans has both a Facebook and Instagram page. You can also follow me, Sandra Flack. I also have a Facebook page and I have an Instagram page at Sandra Flack underscore JFO. I am thankful that you stayed with me to the end if you are still listening, and I'm grateful that you spent your valuable time with us today. I am thrilled to have you along for the journey. Thank you for listening to Orphans No More, for sharing what you've heard and praying for vulnerable children everywhere. We hope you are inspired to
0: walk out James 127 in whatever way God calls you. For more information, visit justicefororphansny.org.